0: Welcome back to another week of Backlash Podcast. Our guest today is going to be Ken Trail from Rock On Charters. Ken's down in Virginia. At one point I thought he was closer to West Virginia, but it sounds like not. And Ken primarily does some river stuff. And so we're going to talk a little bit about river fishing. We're going to talk a little bit about jet boats. We're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, just kind of what he's got going on down there. Sounds like a super cool adventure for musky anglers looking to escape the ice and cold of this winter to head south. Once again, I do not have Brad Hoppy here. So Carrie's filling in again. Carrie, how are things going today?
1: Good. Things are busy as usual.
0: Yep. It's still September, so we're still cranking. Things are, you know, really, really good. And if yep. you're looking for gear... For musky fishing this fall, you can check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We're your source for pretty much the biggest and smallest names in musky fishing. We try to keep everything. We want big names, small names. If you need it, we hope to have it. And if we don't have it, we're definitely trying to work on getting it there. Probably not quite the one stop shop for musky fishing yet, but that's definitely uh, something that we're working towards. And we add new and cool colors pretty much all the time. I know just recently we got some new stuff from Supernatural Big Baits, that color that my that we caught the fish on for my dad, We I think I'm going to call it Grandpa's Goldfish, I haven't exactly put it on the website yet, hey, we got that on there. It wasn't really my plan to ever release that color to the public, but I had a bunch of people saying, you really, really need to get that color, that'll be another tribute to your dad, and I was like, uh, okay, it wasn't really my plan, but that's kind of how we went about it, so... Check out new products on our website all the time. Like I said, the Smitty Baits Gold uh, Glitter Perch we just got it's a pretty cool new color on their jerk baits. And as we speak, I just got a pile more Suex that I sent Carrie a picture of, and I said, "Yay! I'm going to be here till midnight again tonight." And it's Friday, so <laughs> fun times. And my co-host today is Carrie Hoppy, as I mentioned before. And Carrie, would you like to talk about Musky Mayhem Tackle? Musky
1: Mayhem Tackle is the original big bladed. Bucktail. You can find Musky Mayhem Tackle at muskymayhemtackle.com. You can find information on for, on us on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. You could follow Brad on Instagram. That's Musky Mayhem Guide Service. I think is his handle. Is that right, Jeff?
0: I think that's right. That sounds about right.
1: See what he's up to. I think that's about it. You can find Musky Mayhem Tackle at any of your local tackle tackle shops and online.
0: So Carrie, did you get out fishing over Labor Day or not?
1: I went out, I did get out one day. It's kind of, kind of funny when Brad's fishing and fishing and fishing, and then he has a day off and I really want to go because I haven't been able to go fishing. And then we sit there because he's tired. I mean, honestly, you can't blame him. He's tired. So he doesn't really want to go. So I kind of begged for two days and on the third day got to go. Nice. I was not successful. We did see a few fish, but it was, it was still fun. It was nice out. It was nice to be on the water.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm, I'm hoping I can get back out this weekend.
0: It was a very fall like weekend this past weekend over Labor Day. So that was nice.
1: Yeah, it was pretty warm here. Honestly, we were still, the day I got to go out, I definitely had to wear sunscreen. It was probably seventy five, eighty degrees here. yet. so was, that was probably part of the problem that the fish didn't want to cooperate. We saw one good fish, and I think maybe two little tiny fish. It was still fun. I like it.
0: Right. It's always good to get out. Fortunately, I got out, and I paid the price when I got back home. But that's all right. We actually had some success. <laughs> Carry. <laughs>
1: that's. I saw that you you got some detonator fish, which we, made me even more happy.
0: We did. It was uh let's see here so I was on this lake a couple weeks back and I I had, had one hit a I had one hit a detonator and I lost that one. I also had one hit an IC9 and I lost that one too. And then so I told my buddy I said, "Hey, we go back to this spot. There's a couple fish around here that I'm assuming are probably still around here that want to eat detonators." I'm like, "So you should probably throw a detonator on." He's like, "Really? You think these fish will eat detonators?" I'm like, "I I had one trying to eat one like 2 weeks ago. I'm like they're going to eat it." And enough he got one to eat one i think saturday night he got one then he got another one on sunday night on a detonator and we went back on monday morning and i got mine on a detonator because he was done throwing the detonator so it was uh i finally got to play the play the game northern wisconsin fish definitely like detonators and they were actually pretty nice quality beefy fish for you know, I want to say for Northern Wisconsin, but this lake isn't exactly known for like the most giant fish. Like I think a 45 is probably the best I'm going to get out of there. And we are you know, we we're pushing that 40 inch mark on almost every one of them. So that was cool. Of course my daughter, Alexis, I had her out fishing and, uh, she managed to lose two on topwater baits. One of the coolest strikes ever just comes up and just smashes this bait right up into the water, just pops the whole thing out, pops the fish out of the water. So it's uh, definitely a definitely pretty cool thing there too. And then she had one come right in on the eight. And I'm like, Lex, there's one right there. Like, And she makes the turn on the eight. And then my buddy's like, give it some speed. Soon as she gave it some speed, that fish just came up, unglued, crushed it. And, of course, she lost it. <laughs> so uh, we had some success. That was pretty cool. And, Carrie, the reason we're doing this one on a Friday before a Wednesday release is because I'm going to be gone on Monday and Tuesday this week. Heading to Hayward for my first trip to Hayward this year. I haven't seen my buddy Steve Jensen all year, so I'm going to go fishing with him for two days. And hopefully it goes better than when I fished with Jeff Vandermortal two weeks ago because I didn't even get to fish with him because I went up, mm. I fished with him for two hours, and my wife calls me and sends me a picture with the whole backyard's flooded and says we have a problem. And some pump wasn't working and the basement flooded, so uh, <laughs> I was supposed to have... Two nice relaxing days on the water. I ended up with two nice days cleaning water out of the basement. So no good. Hopefully we can avoid that this time.
1: Uh, it looks like it's supposed to be a nice weekend.
0: Yeah, hopefully. So I'm going to head out of town in a couple days, hopefully get this podcast edited and up. I'm not going to do it on Tuesday night when I come back. And so that's, uh, but Carrie, you got any other stories for this week? Otherwise, I think we'll, we'll dial up our conversation with Ken Trail. And you and I also try to figure out a guest for the following week because you know, Brad is apparently out of the podcast game for a little while yet.
1: I'm not honestly sure of his schedule, but I would assume so. Um, I'm kind of thinking he's he's fishing all yeah. the time.
0: Yep. One more job that he gave to you. He's like, all right, Carrie, here, go run with it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I uh, semi-volunteered. but. <laughs>
0: I just want to know when I get my days off, like you can flip in and out, Brad can flip in and out and here I am, I'm stuck every single week. Pretty soon I'm just going to send you all the stuff and let you and Brad do it for a couple weeks.
1: You, you are stuck because yeah, you are the guy who records and edits.
0: Yep. So, so yeah,
1: that, that makes it a little tougher, Jeff.
0: Yep. It's no good being responsible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All
1: right. Let's get this show on the road.
0: Let's do it. All right, our guest this week is Ken Trail, Rock On Charters. We've uh, had a couple of southern muskie anglers, and Ken definitely fits that bill. Ken, it's your uh, first time on the podcast, and we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. And I want to personally thank you just for uh, being flexible with your schedule. I know we were supposed to do this a little later tonight, and then my schedule got rearranged a little bit, and so we had to push it a little bit earlier. And so, like I said, I appreciate you taking, you know, being able to be a little bit flexible with us this week so we can get this done. I know we've been. Heck, we've been messaging back and forth for I don't know. It feels like three months, probably at least. I'm guessing, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it seems like it's been for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know that. Uh, earlier this summer, it was you know right about the time my dad had passed away, and then I was we weren't really. I mean, we were doing podcasts, but we weren't like lining up too many guides, especially ones we didn't. You know, oh. we had to line up with schedules a little bit easier. So, anyways, we're really you know happy to have you on and. We like having, uh, I like pushing into the, the Southern musky thing a little bit too. It just gives our listeners a little bit different, um, you know, look than what we, what we've been dealing with recently. So Ken, you know, it's the first time on the podcast. Why don't you talk a little bit about yourself? Talk about your guide service. Talk about what got you into musky fishing.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we're, um, I'm down here in Southwest Virginia. Um, I fish for primarily Virginia guiding wise and musky fishing. Wow. Started. When I was young young, I can't even remember really how young I was, but my grandfather, and musky, or my grandfather and uncle were probably among the first muskie anglers in the state. Uh there was a club that I think it's called Old Dominion Muskie Hunters and a couple I've ran into a couple of guys now that uh, in our Muskies Inc. chapter that were actually a part of that original Muskie group and I, this is probably back in the early 80s, uh, mid-80s, you know, I, I didn't really get bit by that musky bug until really in my 30s, to be honest with you. I, I was a heck of a smallmouth guy. I loved the smallmouth fish, got into striper fishing at a fairly young age as well, and tournament fish for stripers, and Somehow that evolved into uh, my tournament partner and my best friend Josh Lafferty and I opened up a guide business and we started you know as uh, striper guides on Smith Mountain Lake here in Virginia and at that time Smith Mountain Lake was one of the if probably the inland striper fishery in the country I mean it was just phenomenal we did that for a little while and I just, I missed the river and I'd been musky fishing, you know, for several years before that. And one night I I was talking with Josh. I was like, you know what, let's branch this thing off. And I'm going back to the river and, and start musky fishing and take clients musky fishing. We'll, we'll cover all the, the big game fish in the state, you know, stripers and musky and smallmouth. And, and, uh, that's kind of how rock on trotters got started. You know, the rock on came from the rock fish, you know, that was our tournament main team rock on. And I just never changed it. Josh is now not a part of rock on charge. He's still, him and I are still good friends and he guides in Alaska a few months out of the year. And he, he comes home and guides here. He takes fly clients for, um, for fly fishing or for musky fishing. But, uh, been a wild ride. You know, I mean, I feel like we really, or I got in the musky fishing world as this thing went nuts. You know, just got lucky, I feel like, to be honest with you. You know, it kind of came in when it seemed like musky fishing exploded. Filmed with Jim Serik, I don't know, probably eight or nine years ago. And that was a, a big stepping stone for me. And, you know, I started getting invited to speak and, seminars and Ohio and the PA show and what have you and somehow you know ended up you know writing for muskie hunter magazine and you know it's just been has been a wild ride I, I love it it's not it's un- it's different from anything else in the muskie range and you know I have guys that come down from up north a lot during the winter months because we're a lot we can fish all winter long my client base is, is a lot of Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, Chicago area and they come down here and they fall in love with it. I mean, it's it's a, to- a total different ball game from you guys. Even y'all's river fishing is different than ours. You know, we're six inches of water running 45 miles an hour in a jet boat, you know, going from spot to spot. The scenery here is just is crazy. The mountains, we're, we're nestled in the mountains and have a really unique fishery and I feel like we're blessed, to be honest with you. The, the fishery is amazing. Tons of numbers. We catch quality fish. It's beautiful here. You know, it's the it, same, you know, I, I, listened, I actually listened to you guys' podcast with Chase there a couple weeks ago, and it's kind of the same there. It's just beautiful. You know, it's, it's a different, it's different. You know, I, I travel a lot now in the Musky Range with the PMTT and see a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of beautiful water out there, but, this is unique. It, it's a great experience for people to come down and, and fish with me that's never fished um, river systems. And we do fish a couple of small reservoirs, but it's uh, different. And, you know, you guys there get the winter blues up there, cabin fever and can't fish. It's a, it's a great opportunity to come down and fish the winter months. And we're fishing pre-spawn fish are fat. Females are putting on, you know, body weight, trying to produce eggs. And it's awesome. But, you know, you, you guys, it, that, don't follow me already. You know, we're on Facebook, oh. rock on charters, LLC. We're on Instagram at team rock on and uh, rock on Dot net is my, my website. So if you ever have any questions on river fishing or want to come experience it, give me a shout. And, uh, you know, Come experience something in the South that not a lot of folks do in the musky range. It's pretty cool.
0: I can't believe it's been eight years already since since you filmed that episode with Jim Sarek. I remember the episode. Weren't you guys in like, um, they weren't like a traditional boat. What do you get, What do you call them exactly?
2: Well, I filmed twice with Jim. Um, the first time we were in rafts. There you go. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Whitewater rafts with fishing frames on them and uh you know we ran some jet boats then as well i rode a boat for a lot of years and i tell you i I, that's what made me an old man fast i swear (laughs) my neck and back and shoulders but that was a cool experience too for people you know and i still have people that come down like can we run can we let's go out on the raft one day you know and get out in the back back country and i can about get anywhere i used to get with a raft in my new jet boat i have a awesome jet boat that once you get on it you don't want to go back to the raft and i certainly don't i i can't remember how many years it's been since that first show i thought it's been at least seven years i mean time does fly yeah i filmed with him again here i guess it was two years ago we had a really good show i think we caught five or six fish and uh, had a had a really good show. Most most everybody remembers that one before the the raft one.
0: Sure, I think I remember the raft one. I just like the uh, I like the odd oddball adventure. You know, like seeing them fish big water and big boats. I mean, I get to watch that all the time. So for me, it, it's it's about the adventure part of it, and that's certainly what you guys have going on down there in West Virginia.
2: Yeah, and we're in Virginia, not West
0: Virginia. Okay, so are you close? Because you said you fish some of the same waters as Chase. Are you close to where he is? Because he's in West Virginia, right?
2: Yeah, he's, he's it's about four hours, but I, I run up there and fish a lot just because I enjoy the fishery up there. The New River is one of the main rivers I fish. It, it actually runs into West Virginia, and I fish it as well in, in southern West Virginia, but we're predominantly in Virginia. Okay, um, We're kind of down in the southwest corner. We fish the James. James River, New River, and we have a couple small reservoirs that we, we fish here as well.
0: So for people that are looking to come down, is there a time of year that's better? I know, I'm assuming you guys primarily fish small smallies all summer long, That so I think based on your posts I've seen it didn't look like you guys target muskies in the summer, I don't think. I mean, maybe your water temperatures are safe enough to do that? I don't know. what What's the best time for people to come down?
2: Yeah, we're I touched on this a little bit before. We're so fortunate here. We get nine months of fishing. You know, I mean, we're all relying on natural reproduction on both rivers now. There's hardly any stocking going on in any river. And that's been that way for 10, 11 years now. So we lay off of them in the spawn month, which for us is is usually like April. Um, Usually starts towards the end of March and goes through April. And then uh, July and August, our water temps typically get too hot. We just lay off of them. I, did, I, did, I don't book clients in July and August. Now I'll take a few small amount trips, but, you know, that's usually my time to do a little traveling, fish PMTT, you know, just relax a little bit. Because, you know, I stay so booked and busy the other nine months of the year that it's nice to take a little break in the summer.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you guys have such a cool fishery that I'm sure there's a bunch of people like, you know, just like myself that want to come down and experience it. Just, you know, the whole thing, like you said, the scenery, the fishery themselves, I didn't realize that everything where you were fishing was reliant on natural reproduction. Obviously you said you have size and numbers, so their natural reproduction must be doing pretty well. Cause after, you know, 10 or 11 years of not stocking, if it wasn't to be, it'd be a tough fishery.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're. We've actually had folks from, wow, uh, Minnesota and maybe even Wisconsin biologists trying to figure out how w- our systems do so well, you know, in the natural reproduction area when they're when you guys just don't, uh, which is kind of crazy, but um, it's the truth. We, you know, any fish we catch now for the most part, in the rivers, in the sections that I fish the most, anything under 43, 44 inches of naturally reproduced fish. That's crazy to me. I I was actually having this conversation with a client of mine today, and when I pulled up, our old biologist, Joe Williams, was there fishing, and uh, we talked with him a few minutes, and he was asking me what I thought, how the fishery was doing, and it's a debatable point right now, but you know, they felt like we were had too many fish, you know, and, and they really, they changed the regs a couple of years ago, actually to encourage a little bit of good. Gosh, don't shoot me people, but they encourage was trying to encourage a little bit of take, you know, that's weird to say. And I, I it would never happen in my boat, but, right. um, uh, they, they were worried that the size was going to decline. He was asking me about it. And I was like, you know, I, Honestly, I'm still seeing big fish. We're still catching big fish. You know, I had a client catch a 40-pounder in January of this year, and we caught multiple, you know, fish in that 30, 35-pound range. You know, yeah, I'm seeing fish that are 50 inches being caught still and, you know, tons of mid-40s. I told him, in my opinion, our fishery was in great shape still. You know, but I was nervous that, you know, they were going to go too far on that, you know, and we just needed to to really pay attention to it. But, you know, our biologists are doing a really good job. I'm happy with the way our our program's going and our Muskies, Inc. chapter is doing a lot, getting involved a lot, and it's been great. We're also a part of that hot water study. We have a portion of that going on here as well. I remember Chase talked about that some with you guys a couple weeks ago or month ago, whenever that podcast was, but we're doing the river portion of that here.
0: Okay, cool. I'm assuming and you guys haven't gotten any results out of that one yet?
2: No, um, we're on the same schedule as, as the Stonewall study. However, we've struggled more with catching fish. And the reason is it's really tough in the river itself to pinpoint the fish keep up with them on gps these fish are they're they moving so much it, it, they're all over the place and we've had such low water this summer that it's been hard for us to help them get out there and catch fish i've caught i guess two and i haven't fished a whole lot with them but there has been fish caught i know i think i heard that one died or two died and, and uh, a few of them, the majority of them have survived. I know the two that we caught survived. So it's been it's been a challenge in the river to do this study. It really has. And We thought that last year they had it in an area that it was really hard for everybody to get to. It just didn't make sense. And they moved it thinking we would be able to help them out more. And unfortunately, we had such, we just had any water, kind of like you guys, for I know Northern Minnesota have had water all summer and it's been kind of the same here. We've just been dry and the rivers have been down. So it's been really difficult to get to the fish to be able to, to catch them. You know, what's interesting. And I think a part of this study that, has that interested me the most was not only, you know, we all know that it's tough on the fish, right? But it's also difficult to catch them when they, in these rivers, when it gets that hot, they get just about the point where they're dormant. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I, you know, I can pull up to a spring hole and there'll be literally 15 to 20 muskies stacked up nose to tail in a spring hole. And they're just, they won't even look at, I mean, you could, <laughs> you can drop something, like, you can sight them and they won't even look at, they wouldn't even look at a lot of bait. You wouldn't even look at a sucker if you put it in front of them. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, they just, they shut down, you know, 80 degrees and they're shutting down on that river. It's wild.
0: Hmm, That is interesting. I wonder if that's how it is on these lakes that we fish too. I kind of heard Chase, you know, mention that on the podcast that we did, that he said that, you know, a lot of those, those fish will shut down at about there. So, so it's almost like they, I don't want to say they self-preserve, but it's like they, they do, you know, they regulate themselves a little bit and allow, you know, it's, it's just a strange, a strange deal there.
2: Yeah. And, you know, on the lake, it's a te- it's easier number one to target them because you can, they can run around with the GPS, you know, and like, okay, there that, that fish is right here, you know, and, and with live scope, they're able to, to look at it, find the fish and, you know, put a jig in front of its face until it, they probably piss it off enough to eat, to be honest with you, you know, I think that's how they've caught a fair amount of their fish. And it, it, you know, it's just a little bit easier to target them on a the lake, which has enabled them to to catch more fish, which I'm happy they're, they're doing it. I've, I've been so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear the final results out of this. And, you know, whether it comes out that, you know, it's really not that damaging or whatever, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to kind of put some of it to bed and, and be able to you know, say one way or the other pretty, uh, hopefully definitively, you know I mean? Just the, Hey, we definitely need to lay off these things when it gets 80 degrees, you know?
0: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: Can I ask you about your jet boat a little bit? I know we have some listeners and Jeff who are quite (laughs) interested in jet boats and probably even a Brad, what are you running for a jet boat and, uh, what size, you know, the details that way?
2: Yeah. I've been uh, on G3's staff for a lot of years. Great boats. Probably the best mass production jet boat out there, you know. But I went to an inboard jet this year. I'm working with a company out of Pennsylvania called River Raptor. It is a, I have a tank. I mean, it's super big. It's a big boat. It's a labeled as a 1960, but it's actually about almost 21 foot long and probably seven foot on the top, you know, back deck. I run a 250 horsepower inboard jet motor. It's all aluminum. Has It's called a UMHW, a half-inch UMHW bottom, which is like a ballistic-proof plastic um, that allows us to bounce off the rocks and run in two inches of water and, and just hold on to it. You know, I mean, we're going... I've been working with Aqua Traction for a lot of years. I have uh, Aqua Traction on the top decks and all the hummingbirds and things, just like you'd have in a regular, you know, lake boat. I run it all side imaging. I don't, I don't live scope yet, but that's coming. I have a good feeling it's coming.
1: Sounds like I need to make a road trip just to, just to ride in the boat.
2: Yeah, I'd love to have you guys down. That'd be
1: fun. I, I have ridden in a, in a jet one time up the river. It was the craziest ride I've ever been on. The St. Croix. So it would be interesting to try it again. You can't beat that size of a boat. Plus the way it sounds you got it rigged, the aquatraction and everything else. Man, we have aquatraction in one boat and carpet in the other boat, you know. And I'm like, man, aquatraction is so much nicer. It doesn't get hot. It's cushy. It doesn't stain. The whole works. It's just so much nicer.
2: Hundred percent easy to clean. It doesn't stink. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah. to touch on what you were saying, I I love the first time guys that come down here. You know, I get in the I get they get in the boat. You know, we get settled in, and I I rip off the bank, and I mean these boats will literally. I could put a cone in the middle of the water and just do a circle around it. I mean, that tight. And I'll whip off the bank and I just take off. And the first place I stopped, they look up and they're like, oh my God, you are crazy. <laughs> you know, they they just, I mean, it, it's, it is a little unnerving, you know, the first time you do it. I mean, I'm sure it is for those guys. You know, we would take off and pretty quick we're in sometimes four or five, six inches of water running 40 miles an hour. You know, I, it's safe. I know the river, I've been doing it for so long. It's not saying we don't hit every now and then we do, but that's what the boat's built for. You know, I mean, it's going to happen. You, when you're running four or five, six inches of water, it, it, it happens occasionally. And it's just part of the ball game in the river. You know, it's I also, run. you know, we run class two and class three rapids on the regular it's kind of cool going through those three four or five foot waves you know in a jet boat it's just a different experience you know it's cool i mean people really really enjoy it yeah that
1: would be cool i i would enjoy that i might have to work on that well
0: it sounds like you got to just stop doing shows in the winter carrying and you have know, plenty of time to go head south
1: careful what you ask for jeff <laughs>
2: That's one thing it does think, you know, all the show season, you know, for everybody else, it's great, you know, and for me, it's not, you know, I mean, I'm missing, seems like, like the uh, Tony and Greg show, the Ohio show, you know, I always do some seminars there and it always falls like, seems like it falls on the full moon in January, you know, I'm like, God, I've got to be, I need to be on God, you know, but uh, that's kind of why I do a limited schedule you know they've been trying to get me to come up to chicago for uh, several years and i just i'm good with the ohio and pennsylvania and and uh some you know go up to great outdoor show sometimes in pa and i gotta fish
0: yeah especially
1: fishing.
0: yeah and if that's how you make your living is on the water it's what you gotta do especially in your like you said in your situation you can be out there yep so as carrie alluded to I definitely have an interest in a jet boat. I've been talking about on this podcast for probably two years, and eventually, someday will happen. But uh, you know, for a first-time jet owner, you know, is there a certain size boat that you know would would be sufficient to get you know two anglers on the water? You know, what do you what do you think of for a boat there?
2: Uh, like I said before, you know, I was with G three for several years. Really good, solid boats, You know, the seventeen foot range, that I think, is a Seventeen to eighteen foot, predominantly, is a good, good, good place. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys that run sixteen foot boats here with a tiller steer. I'm more of a steering wheel guy, so I, I'm, you know, seventeen to eighteen foot. Uh, my favorite boat in that category, I guess, was the eighteen sixty G three with, I think, it, it had the one fifteen eighty horsepower. So with the jets, you know, it's hundred. It's basically 115 horsepower Yamaha motor. With, and you take, what, 30% off. You're really only getting 80 horsepower at the nozzle in the jet. Those are good boats. A 17-foot, you can run like a 90-65 on it. For two guys, that's probably more than enough. If you start getting to three four guys, you want to beef up. You know, the, the biggest thing is, is starting off. Like with the G3, uh, you know, an 1860 G3, even with the 115 horsepower motor, I'd need 60, 70 feet, 100 feet of at least three foot of water to get up, get up on plane, which is super important when you're running jet boats. You you have to be on plane. The the slogan is, when in doubt, plane it out. You know what I mean? You have to be up on plane. That's the beautiful thing about these new— Inboard jets, you know with these two hundred two hundred and fifty now they have a three hundred horsepower inboard jet you literally stomp the throttle in your own plane in one second you know it 's just the river Raptor that i 'm running now is just insane i't i do don 't even worry about it you know if i 'm in a foot of water, I tell everybody sit down, shut up, and hold on, and we go you know what i mean <laughs> it 's just amazing
0: so i 've also heard you know the that- Tunnel hull versus non tunnel hull. What's your preference on that?
2: Good question. Without a doubt, tunnel hole. It saves you. But here's the key to that. You know, a lot of guys will try to take a non tunnel hole bolt and make it a tunnel hole and it doesn't work out and they get you know, oh, there's tunnel holes aren't worth a crap. You know, well actually they are. You just tried to take a production made non-tunnel hole boat and turn it into a tunnel hole and it's just, unless you get everything perfect, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't work because there are guys that have made that work, but it typically doesn't end up happening right. But, you know, a a lot of those boat manufacturers are all tunnel holes now, and for good reason. It gets that, it gets the foot of the jet, the motor, which is the only thing sticking in the water up and under the boat and kind of more secure in that tunnel. You know, I mean, in the water comes up through the tunnel, so you don't really miss a whole lot of, of water. You'll, you know, suck a little air every now and then, but getting that jet foot up two inches is vital. You know, I mean, when you're running, like we were talking about, when you're running, you know, G3, easily runs six, six inches of water and, You know, when you're talking six inches of water, two inches is a lot, you know? So I'm a big, I'm 100% for tunnel holes.
0: Well, I mean, that's helpful to our listeners. It'll hopefully someday be helpful to me as well. I've heard varying opinions on tunnel hall versus non-tunnel hall. I mean, it sounds to me like you're definitely more of an expert than anybody I've talked to. So I'd say I'm going to take your advice over anybody else's.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the guys that complain about them, you know, they're, I can't. My, my mind's leaving me. I can't think of the terminology. I have said it ten million times in my life, but basically, the 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 tunnel hole will sometimes suck air instead of water. You know, so they they get kind of weird about it. How oh, this thing's. You know, I wish I could think of the term I'm trying to use, but uh, sucking air, and I can't. You know, blah blah blah. Well, it's it, it, a lot of times is how they have their their motor positioned and. I'll take sucking a little air every now and then to keep that foot from being ripped off on a rock. The the tunnel hole is definitely, definitely important.
0: For sure. So you you were talking about, you know, boats, we'll, we'll switch off of this in a minute, but you were also talking about electronics and how you run, you know, side imaging and all that stuff. Do you got to worry about any, I mean, how many times do you lose a transducer doing that?
2: Man, I don't, I don't want to answer that question. (laughs) 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 I really don't. I mean. I've been, let's just say I've been really fortunate of late, <laughs> uh, you know, that hummingbird side image transducer is what the hell it's probably 10 inches. You yeah. think, I mean, it's six way out there, you know? And, uh, when I first put it on the first boat I had, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to rip this thing off in five minutes. And so far I have been fortunate. I'll probably go out tomorrow and rip it off. Yeah, let's I'm knocking on wood, but <laughs> let's hope we didn't jinx you. Uh, I, I, I have been I've been very fortunate, and and I haven't lost one yet. With that, and I think a lot of it has to do with that inboard. You know the way that boat sits so level all the time, and when you take off, it it's like I said. I mean it's it's immediately on plane, so I'm not dragging the rear end of the boat, which would cause you to to lose that transducer more. You know what I mean? Yep, for sure. And I will tell you, we were at, uh, I guess it was Cass Lake a week or two ago for the PMTT. Those guys run very shallow water with big boats there. And even for me as a river guy, I was freaked out. So I understand the guys that come down to the river and freak out. I mean, Daryl Caesar is my partner. And and the first day we were riding around that lake, we were like, just, Hudson along through these shoals, and guys are coming by ninety miles an hour. Like that dude has no idea what he's doing, you know. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and uh, come to find out, those are all the locals. You know, they're just like, you know, they don't they don't give a rip. They're like just just let her eat. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
2: that-
1: this, this year was a little bit of an exception to when it comes to shallow water. We were extremely shallow. Yeah. Uh, we did finally after after the PMTT probably like a week or so after we did finally here get some rain, so our water I think in the one week we got like six inches, give or take. I think so that our water was uh, uh, no I, well maybe maybe it was yeah, right around
2: yeah that we time. Just, uh, we we all joked the whole time up there you know we were saying with Greg Thomas and. Uh, and uh, Tony and I, we were all staying in the same cabins, and and uh, we were joking, you know, they hadn't had rain in three months, and it's rained every day we've been here. <laughs> you know, we brought the rain. So.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. It did manage to bring our water up a little bit. It's still, still sketchy. Like, you're talking about knocking off transducers. Brad was actually concerned about that. Maybe still is, but it's better than it was.
2: Yeah, are the fires, did they get the fires under control with that rain? That's one thing we were hoping, you know.
1: I think they did. Um, It was kind of funny because I had to make a run to Wisconsin last week or the week before. One of the two and I stopped in Toma at an Arby's to eat lunch. And there was a West Virginia fire crew there that I'm pretty sure were sent to that fire in Lake Superior National Forest. But they were headed home, so I'm I'm guessing it's out with all that rain. It looked like it got hit up there. I haven't heard anything, and we haven't been smoked in for quite a while now. So,
2: yeah, the one day I can't i think it was the day before the tournament because that that tournament's Friday, Saturday. So that's all screwed up. Screwed up. I think it was Thursday. The wind switched out of the to the coming out of the north, and it got so smoky. I mean, it was hard to breathe on the water. I mean, it was yep. unbelievable.
1: We got tons of that this year. Like, I've never in my entire life seen that where it was that bad in the state of Minnesota. Um, I've seen it in, like, in Montana or out west, you know, even South Dakota, where they'll get smoked in from a forest fire. But we were smoked in here for probably two weeks from the fires in Canada. And it was bad enough a couple times where, like... I think Lake Meltona is seven miles long, and you can see and at uh, no problem, right? I was in the yeah. middle of the lake, and you couldn't see either side, and you could barely see the narrow way yeah. to shore, which is six hundred yards. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. So yeah, it was, and that fire was pretty strong because I remember that day because I'm like, man, this this is not good. This is bad. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm over this.
2: Yeah, I I was talking to a couple of the other guys, uh, Mallard from up in Vermilion, he's like, It's been just awful. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: There's no getting out of it. And then we'd stay we'd stay in those wind patterns. And it just keep blowing and blowing and you never get a break. So Yeah. It did save us though when it was really hot for probably a good week. It was really hot, but we were really smoky and it did save the water temps some. There was just enough haze in the air where it cut the power of the sun. And then the water temps kind of, they didn't really climb. How about that?
2: Huh, that's pretty, that's crazy. Isn't it?
1: Do you think we should go back to fishing now?
0: Yeah, we can go back to, <laughs> we can go back to fishing. I was thinking, uh, I got a couple notes here and I was thinking, uh, you know, can we had talked previously high water, low water. You want to talk a little bit about, you know, which one you prefer and, and how it changes maybe your tactics a little bit if you're fishing high water versus low water or vice versa?
2: Yeah, I get asked this question a lot in uh, seminars and people want to know what I prefer. I would prefer the river to be running very strong, up and running. It localizes the fish. They don't want to be in the current. You know, muskies are predominantly lazy, so it kind of puts them in those eddy pockets is what we call them. And it's the non-current areas. You know, if you have a point sticking out in the river and, and uh, it cuts the current, you know, those fish that get in those eddy pockets. So when the river's up and running, those fish are, are stacked in those areas. So it gets a little easier to target them. And you can get in there and use just about every tactic in the book to try to catch fish out of those pockets low and clear water conditions you know we get the fish get scattered which typically happens in the summertime you know i mean about uh mid into may the fish will start moving out of their spawn slash wintering locations and they really scatter in the river you'll have fish in six inches of water and you'll have fish in 10 feet of water but they're actually looking for current then but they still use current breaks but the low clear conditions are really, really tough in the river because, you know, we're, we're fishing shallow water. Summertime, my average depth, I'm probably only in four or five feet of water. So I can see the bottom a lot of times, you know, today we were practically sight fishing muskies today in the low clear conditions. And it still makes it very difficult because they can see you as well. You know, so the tactics change with low clear. You want to be able to cast, make bomb casts and burn, burn it, you know, burning blades. We typically downsize in the summer and, and throw, you know, like showgirls and and eight blades and, and just burn the crap out of them. We also, you know, burn swimming dogs and stuff like that. Just, I want to be able to get clients to be able to reach out there as far as they can. Like I was telling you guys earlier, I've been getting up at 4 a.m. I start really early. You know, I'm on the water before daylight. And the best window we have during these low clear water times is that, you know, 6 a.m. to 10, 30, 11 before the sun gets up. And the fish can pick you out. But it's also fun, uh, the low conditions because the topwater bite in the river can be phenomenal you know it can just go crazy and this time of year you know it's it's very similar to the lake you know we start getting that around that 70 degrees these fish will move shallow uh get up in that grass that's remaining and and you can bomb topwater in on them and they they really respond to topwater in the river prop baits you know walk the dog whatever you like it's hard to pick which one I like the best because I love soft water so much. But the uh, the the high water, even if it's even if it's colored, you know, you don't want to. We get in the situations a lot here. That our biggest issue is high water with mud. You know, the river will blow out, and typically it's both of them. That's the only issue we run into with clients coming. Sometimes you know we have to put the brakes on and be like you know, the river is going to be almost at flood stage, you know, we we can't be out there. And then, you know, sometimes the levels will come back down, but it'll still be muddy, you know, and there's really, it's tough. The fish will still eat in six inches of visibility, but it's tough on you mentally and especially the clients because they can't see follows. They can't interact with the fish. You know, you're, you're throwing big baits, you know, Big blades, whatever you know, to try to to put some thump in the water, and uh, you know it's it's tougher on them mentally. Back to you know when it's right, the color's right, and the water's up. Those fish will get in those eddy pockets, and the any current breaks ledges. We have a section of the river we call the ledges, and it's just ledge after ledge after ledge after ledge, and those fish will get right in underneath those ledges, and when they're ready to feed, all they're doing is just moving up a little bit in the water column and they're still laying and in no current behind that ledge. And you bring baits over top of those ledges and they just come shooting straight up and nail it. I mean, they hardly ever follow it. You know, they're just eating. There's positives and negatives, I guess, to both. But for me, I'd rather the higher water, localize the fish a little bit. Plus, to the jet boat, I can go anywhere in the river I want to go. You know, I can put in and run thirty miles either direction. You know what I'm saying?
0: I didn't realize you guys would have that bigger runs that you could make where there wasn't dams and stuff in between.
2: In Virginia, I guess it's three. Let's see, this is three dams, four dams on the New River, but they're 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 spaced out. The stretch that I fish the most, I'm actually fishing about. Well, I fish from the dam down about forty miles or so thirty five forty miles when the water's up, I mean, you can travel at all if you wanted to. I mean, rarely do I fish more than about ten or eleven twelve miles of rivers, but there are days you know when the bites tough that it's nice to cover a lot of water. You get in those situations where it happens I think more with the lower water conditions. Or normal kind of pool, you know. You find those fish in a certain area, and you're like, you know, my mind's like, okay, where can I go to have this same situation on the river so I can I can line up three or four spots like that, and I just skip everything else, and I I'll focus on that. You know, whether it's like a a big grass flat, you know, or the fish have pushed pushed back today. The fish predominantly right now low and clear are in the middle of the river you know they they come off the bank they get in the middle they feel more secure it's deeper that's not always the case in the river but a lot of the areas we're catching the fish in they're in the middle of the river in the deeper current areas so it's just nice to be able to utilize that much river when you need it you know the james river really the the best section of the James River has no dams. You know, we're fishing basically the headwaters of the James. The Calpaster and Jackson River form the James. We fish about the top 65 miles of it. So there's, there's really, when you start getting into the dams down there, there are muskies all the way into Lynchburg which is several small dams in between but majority of the fishing is done above the dams
1: water's high and fast is it still fairly
2: clear yeah it it, it just you know like the first the first few days is usually mud and then it'll blow through and that you know that's that's your dream conditions you know you'll get like a day or two there where the water's turning from brown to green we call it big fish water i mean it's that time period where you can see like 18 inches, two feet and they can't see you. And, and they, they, you just, it's, it's one of the best times to catch big fish, you know? Um, I like it. I'm a little worried going into winter right now that the levels are so low. I mean, it, that is one of the, the bigger things with the jet boats, you know, when it gets so low like this, our grass and the rivers, I mean, it's, we we're sucking grass all the time, and it's it's terrible. It, 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 this grass mine fields, you know, and it it, it the entire river, and it, it makes it very difficult. Predominantly, you only get a few days of muddy water, and then it it start transitioning back to clear. We want it running strong but clear. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yep. I just was curious. I didn't know if how long it would stay muddy if if you were dealing with that for, you know, weeks or if it's a couple of days or, like, here, like, what I deal with, when I say the water's dirty, it's got an algae bloom, and you can still see probably your entire cast if you keep the bait high enough. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it'd be like cast lake. That's what we're fishing most of the time.
2: Right. No, nah. I mean, it gets muddy here. The New River, I'm kind of fortunate. I'm fortunate because I fish both rivers so much. Um, There's a couple of guide services that fish both, but I'm really the only one that really fishes both, if that makes sense. You know, I, I fish a lot of days on the James River, and I fish a lot of days on the New River. And so I'm fortunate that a lot of times the New River where I'm fishing below that dam will take a lot of rain before it gets muddy. You know, where you guys with that fish the James can't fish because it's muddy. And then sometimes it'll take, you know, it takes three or four or five days for the mud to get through the dam on the new river. And by that time it's clearing up on the James. So you start playing a lot of cat and mouse during those times, but. We really need some rain now. I would soon get up and muddy for about two weeks, to be honest with you, so we can go into winter months with some water in the rivers. It just makes me nervous. We had a couple, uh, I guess it was two or three years ago, we were just so low. It just, it was awful. I mean, it really condenses the fishermen too, because there's certain sections that people can get their boats in, but the majority of the rest of it you can't. So, everybody's kind of piled in together in the same same sections of river and it just it makes it awful
1: it does we're still dealing with some of that here you you uh, forget how spoiled you are until you can't get on a body of water because there's not enough water
2: yeah i i talked to several guys up there was talking about about that very same thing you know i talked to uh well when i was uh, i was guest hosting with tony and greg the past month on the the uh, Musky Road Rules podcast. We had Kevin Cochran on, and he was talking about you know you can't put in at this ramp can't put in, at ramp, can't put in at that ramp, can't put in at that ramp, can't put in at that ramp, and we're like, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, man, this sounds like home when it gets low, you know, we gotta push everybody in the same freaking place, you know. You don't realize it, especially on like Cass Lake, tons and tons of water, but when you start condensing people down, they can't get into pike bay you know you can't get into blah 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 you know it just it starts getting tough and condensing people down
0: so can we kind of talked a little bit about high water low water what uh, what's your bait selection like for these places
2: i mean it's very similar to what you guys use in the lake when i leave to go to pnt tournament pnt tournaments or go fish elsewhere i change up very little but we, I think we throw more the glide bait baits more than you guys up there for whatever reason. I've had success on glide baits in every body of water I've ever fished. But um, we throw a lot of glide baits, uh, hot tail gliders, and slow flow glide baits. And summertime we're burning Brad and Carrie's musky mayhem's, you know, uh, burning blades and top water and ripping some rubber. We even rip some pounders occasionally, more mag dog size uh, rubber baits for the river, but we're ripping ripping rubber, burning blades and top watering and all that good stuff. It changes a little bit in the wintertime, I think, is the biggest difference between northern lake fishing and, and southern river fishing. You know, we're we're going to the glide baits so and we're going to diving rides and we're going to huge Huge sucker baits, you know, those big hard body suckers that were slow rolling and they all work everywhere. But I think that's the difference. You know, I get a lot of clients that come down that bring baits that they're confident in, you know, at home. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it'd probably work okay here. But they're like, well, I would do really well. I'm like, go ahead and throw it, you know. And I've learned over the years that they all work everywhere. You know, <laughs> I mean, it really, the dying dog was a, plastic example I didn't think I just didn't see it working that well you know in the river system and I've probably caught 300 fish over the past few years on a dying dog in the river you know what I mean so I I think it's there it's very similar
0: what I always find to be kind of amazing is obviously we sell a lot of fishing lures here and so I get to ship them all over the places how like Westford like there's very specific stuff you know like Illinois is kind of they seem to favor crankbaits a lot and when they're using casting baits, it's kind of small. Minnesota likes to go big. Wisconsin's kind of, I would say, on that smaller range. Maybe a few, little bit of bigger stuff. But like when it gets to West Virginia and Virginia, when for our customers there, it's like all bets are off. They can throw big, small, bright, <laughs> you know, bright colored, natural colored. It's like the wild, wild west over there where you guys are as far as baits are concerned. I see all different kinds of, you know, kind of stuff going that way. It's just. Um, it's a little bit different than what I'm used to. You know, like I said, the, there's a lot of those states that are very, like, more dialed in as far as what their baits are. Where you guys are kind of like all over the map.
2: Well, I think it's because they all work here, <laughs> and I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, what I mean, there are days that I'm throwing super bright baits on a bright day in clear water, and I'm catching fish, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, I need to. I need to go back to natural, I need, and I'm catching fish. Then you'll go a week, and you won't catch a fish on a bright bait. you got to throw tins in natural colors, or you're not going to catch them. You know what I mean? It's crazy, and, I, and a lot of that, I think, has to do with down here. There's guys fishing really small bodies of water here, so they feel like they need to be small. And then the guys that are fishing New River and, and the bigger – systems you know they're like we got their bigger baits trying to get bigger fish and it really is all over the board here it it almost it's, it's almost bad because you almost have to carry i can't I have people come down like i cannot believe how many baits you have in this boat you know? mm-hmm. and I, you have to carry two monster lake woods and every box i got in the boat's full you know and there's some days that i'm going to go through 10 different sizes from four inch crankbait to a 12, 14 inch crankbait, you know, to figure out what these fish want. and They all work.
0: Well, that makes sense. And that's exactly what I'm seeing.
1: I would venture to guess that would work probably everywhere though. It's just that some, so many anglers are so set in their ways and have heard so many times, this is what you need to do and nothing else is going to work that they just don't try.
2: I won't disagree with you at all. I do me either, you know, and that, and that's, I had this discussion with I had a bait maker in my boat yesterday and we had this exact discussion, you know, where we all kind of get locked in to this, that, and the other, you know, and, and when I was telling him, I have guys that come in from, like I was saying earlier, come from all over the country to fish with me and they pull out baits and I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. And they end up catching a fish on it. I just think we all get so locked in on what we think is is right and what we've, our history proves that this catches fish, that catches fish, and we get locked into that and we don't explore sometimes. And I think we probably should. I think it's probably a downfall of us, especially, I I feel like, especially the guys that's been doing it a while. We just, we get so locked in on what we know works that we don't explore, you know? I would agree.
1: I I think it applies to like, how you work a bait and and spots too that people get so set in their ways like uh, you know you get someone who's new and they don't necessarily know the exact right work way to work that bait but there's really no wrong way to work any bait it's what works <laughs> yes. for you but people get set in their their ways with that too that oh no you can't you can't that top water has to go up this speed and this speed only or that glide bait has to be at this rhythm and this rhythm only, and it's not gonna work. Or you 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 jerk your bulldog the wrong way. I've heard heard and seen that so many times and like, there's no wrong way to run a bulldog. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> it,
2: it, it, you're a hundred percent right. I mean I when I was young in the god, you know, I, I watched trying to teach somebody how I want them to run a bait. You know, you got to run it this way, you got to run it this way. And you, you spend your first hour of the morning trying to get them exactly the way you want to run a bait. And you just, I, I just would sit back and be like, you know what, just forget it. This There's no in Sam Hill, I'm going to teach this guy how to run a bait properly. He has no chance. And I hardly get that thought out of my head and a fish comes up and smokes, smokes his bait. You know, I can't tell you how many times that happened to me. So now I'm just like, you know what, if that's the way you want to run it, run it that way. Let's see what happens
1: the most that I've seen it, usually when I see it, it's a husband and a wife and the husband's an avid fisherman. The wife is like a newbie and right. he'll be on her left and right telling her, no, oh, you can't run it like that. You can't run it like that. And I'm like, seriously, you're not running it wrong. Do it. However it works for you. It'll be fine. But not yeah, good. that's what I see that the most is somebody who's, who's avid. And then you get a newbie and, They're trying to fix it, and well, sometimes it's not broken.
2: That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ken, an hour flew by here. We actually just hit an hour exactly. I would love. I I have a feeling that this conversation could go on for a lot longer. Yet, it feels like we just barely scratched the surface. I would love it if you were able to come back, you know, yet this fall, and we could talk a little bit about more um, about more river fishing. But, uh, sure. for, for me, my schedule doesn't allow me to have too much time today. I'm just trying to fit it all in and uh, I got to go watch some girls play volleyball and I got to go pick up my son from football practice. So anyways, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come talk to us. Hopefully I'll, I'll be in touch with you as long as you're willing to do it again. I'd love to have you back on and continue talking about stuff. Like I said, I feel like we didn't even hardly get anywhere and, <laughs> and an hour was up already, so if people are looking to get in touch with you to book a trip, how do they go about
2: doing that? Yeah, the easiest thing to do is just just shout out me on my cell phone. It's 540-588-6628. 540-588-6628. I'm on the water all day, every day. Just shoot me a text and uh, leave me your name. and well, Obviously, I'll have your number, but uh, I'll get back to you and be happy even if you have just some river questions if, you know you guys are looking to explore rivers up north and you have some river questions i'd be happy to help you as much as i can
0: well kind of, like i said i want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule i know we've been trying to do this for a while and hopefully it won't take so long before we can do another part to this because like i said i mean you, you got tons of knowledge to offer for all of us but uh, anyways we want to thank all of our listeners this week for coming out and listening again and we'll have a new episode for everybody again next week
2: Thanks, Kim. Hey, no problem. Thank you, guys.